All right, welcome to episode 27 of the At Bat Podcast presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news as well as take a trip around the league. Today, we are joined by our fellow War member. Uh, thanks for coming on, Gabe. That's Gabe Wilkins. And then we also have uh, Miles Porter, of course, and I am Saul Rodriguez. Uh, how are we doing today, Gabe? I'm doing excellent, man. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys, Miles. And uh, Saul, you know, talk about some playoff baseball. You know, unfortunately, we didn't get a team from the city into the dance in October, but, you know, nevertheless, it's going to be some great games and some um, fantastic teams, especially in the National League where it's all wide open pretty much at this point. You got some good teams in there between the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Mets, all winners, you know, all have won 100 games or more. You don't see that too often. Yeah, how about you, Miles? How you doing today, man? Hey, doing good. You know, I'm looking at my, uh, my predictions from earlier this year. For the most <laughs> part, I was – you know, I was right. I was wrong about this. There's a few, but we don't need to even get into that at all. Um, <laughs> um, hey, it's, all it's all it's all right. You can flex. You can flex. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, right? No, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm doing good. You know, playoff baseball is the best time of the year. Nice. Yeah, I know. It is true, man. I love October for so many reasons, all the sports going on, but just playoff baseball isn't, I mean, that's, I mean, tomorrow feels like Christmas. Like, it feels like Christmas Eve right now. <laughs> like that's how good it feels man yeah. but uh anyways we'll start off with chicago baseball stuff and kind of uh like i said before we came on i was like we gotta rip off the band-aid and just talk about the cubs first i know we got plenty to say about the white Sox because of course they were the closest one to make it to the playoffs and and, and gave of course being our our Sox expert here uh we'll have plenty to say but when it comes to the cubs um you know 74 and 88 um it's it's honestly it sounds sad but way better than i thought they would do um i was hoping for and I, and and i've talked in other uh episodes the fact that uh it's uh, it's pretty sad but the road to 70 uh cuz i just wanted them to win to seven, win 70 it was messed up so uh i do public address announcing for college to page right and one of my coworkers there uh we're always just you know uh talking smack and just like you know chilling back talking about baseball cuz he's a big baseball fan he's a dodgers fan unfortunately but he was saying, uh, I was like telling him, I'm like, you know, oh yeah, the Cubs won again. You know, they got 68 wins, like road to 70. And the guy, the guy just like, he just like <laughs> started laughing. He goes, man, you just got to get a life. And I was like, <laughs> I was like bogus. I was like, I was like, come on, man. I was like bogus. I was like, that's what I'm talking about, man. Dodger fans, Yankee fans, they don't understand like the whole losing like 90 games. That's why. Like, what do you expect? Like, there's, I, I, I've known people that are like, bro, how can you watch your team lose? Like. 80 90 games it's like what do you what do you what, what else am i gonna do what am i am i gonna stop watching them like no like that's what i'm saying they, they don't understand especially dodgers fans the Yankee fan but it is what it is but uh kind of miles I'll, I'll ask you first what's uh what's your kind of like your main takeaways off the top of your head when it comes to the Cubs season i mean i think to a certain extent they kind of exceeded everyone's expectations uh, a lot of people had this team is a is a team that only win like maybe 60 games or kind of have a season like the Tigers, for example, or more so in the vision, more like the Pirates. That's what people were putting the Cubs at in the beginning of the year. Um, I think that first half of the season was kind of rough. I do believe that. Um, but then when you look at the second half, you know, they really just put it together and they're 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 a very uh they're a very pitching heavy team. I think the pitching is really what carried this team in the second half. Uh so many, so many great players to point at in that bullpen in the rotation. Um, and it's just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to good, a lot of, uh, good to look forward to. And I've always said that, um, from the beginning of the year, this is a year where like, Hey, you know, we kind of got to throw it away. We kind of take everything, you know, with a grain of salt. Um, 
And I think for the most part, that's what that's what most fans did. Um, but the players are playing very motivated. A lot of these guys are playing for spots next year. Mm-hmm. Some of these dudes are not going to be on the team next year. And um, mm-hmm. there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to look forward to. Wrig- Wrigleyville is popping as always. Lots of fun. Um, I'm feeling good. If I'm a Cubs fan, I'm feeling good going into next season because, you know, this is a big step forward for this organization. I didn't expect them to win as many games as they did this, as they did this year um, coming off of all the changes that, you know, that's gone, that uh, this organization has gone through in the last year. Yeah, no, you, you're right. And, and uh, Gabe, you from the other side of town, man, like what, what as, um, what, what did you think of the Cubs overall this season? Well, for one, I was impressed with the resolve that they showed, you know, throughout the second half in particular, you know, as Miles alluded to, this was a team that was struggling to win games and put together consecutive wins and series throughout the first half of the year. This was a team that struggled to take care of business at home in Wrigley Field throughout the first half of the year. You you go fast forward into the second half, you know, this team swept the Mets on the road, um, swept the Phillies at home. You know, kind of wondered, you know, with the way they played the NL East, if they played the NL East, maybe whether or not they would have won a division with the way that they mm-hmm. played them as well as they did. And, you know, that, that says a lot, especially when it's a division that has had three teams in the playoffs this year with the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies. So that that was big time. I was impressed with the play of Nico Horner. I thought, you know, his glove and his bat showed up. I thought he showcased a lot of impressive leadership, you know, and at the age of 25, you know, you want to see that from your young guys. And he was one of only five players, I think, in the league to have 10-plus homers, 20-plus stolen bases, and post a batting average of 280 or better in 2022. Only Andres mm-hmm. Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, Julio Rodriguez, and Trey Turner did that besides him. So that, that was a big deal. I thought Christopher Morrell brought a great energy to this ball club. Uh, the pitching, you know, as Miles alluded to, was Nesky you know, from his immaculate inning in St. Louis. Anytime you can finish with a young team, you know, eight or so games above 500 as they did in the second half, and you win eight of your last 10, you have to go into the offseason with momentum. And this is a team that we know they're going to spend some money come come this offseason, and they're going to seek to address some big-time needs, whether it's with position players and add to their starting pitching staff. You know, I thought Justin Steele, before he went down, had a great season as well. Um, and, and improved his worth. You add that with the farm system and guys that could be ready next year from Pete Crow Armstrong to Alcantara to uh, Alexander Canario, like they have talent. And in the NL Central where only St. Louis and Milwaukee is really seeking to compete, if you take care of business, you can put yourself in a position to probably buy for a third wild card spot. Mm-hmm. So it, it remains mm-hmm. to be seen, but they have a lot of momentum. And even though it looks like a year where they were rebuilding, it, it, you could really say in some essence that they were retooling. And mm-hmm. if, you know, the winter meetings go well for them and Jed Hoyer and his front office staff take care of business and puts themselves in the room and at the table with some guys and close some deals, you never know. You, you could be seeing a, a return to the postseason for the Cubs for the first time since 2020. Yeah, and that's, that's 100% true with the whole retooling thing. And I know somewhere Jed Hoyer is smiling. Because he went into the season, even in the, even last year when he, they were talking about when they were selling, right, and everyone's saying, like, Jed, like, is this a rebuild? Is that? And he didn't want to use the word rebuild, right? And I think this this season kind of proved, like, at least up to this point, proved 
that it is a retooling and they do just have to go to the offseason and kind of fill in fill in the blanks. They won't, I'm sure they won't fill in every single one. They'll, you know, they'll see. Um, I don't necessarily think they're competing for a World Series next year, right? But they're gonna fill in the blanks for a lot of this, a lot of these uh parts of the team that are needed. And I mean, when you look at this team, another thing, and you uh made a lot of the points uh in in the fact that they were 39 and 31 in the second half. Mm-hmm. And they also the way they ended the season, uh, uh, like, you know, they swept the Phillies. They actually tried to help the Brewers. Uh, I don't know why, but they tried to help them with that sweep. And, yeah. you know, I saw, so I, I forgot who it was, had an article said, you can't help someone that, you know, that uh, doesn't want to be helped. That's the Brewers right there because they couldn't take advantage of that. And then, of course, uh, the way they played the Mets, as you said, I mean, Pete Alonso just said that in his uh, press conference today. I saw that. <laughs> saying that, that because uh, people were talking about how, uh, oh, the Brave series, like you think that's where the season, you know, ended for you or like the their chances mm. at AL East ended for you guys. And he's like, no, like we, you know, a few weeks ago, we got swept by the Cubs. Right. And I thought that was hilarious because sure, yeah. it is true, right? It's like everyone yeah. talks about later in September, but at the end of the day, it's, it's those games as much as you, you know, people say, oh, it's early in the season, early in the season. Those games could come back and bite you at the end of the season. So as they did for the Mets. Um, but yeah, there is uh, plenty of things to talk about with the Cubs, plenty of the positives that you guys actually talked about. And, and, and Miles, you said it too with the pitching. Gabe, you said it as well. They had uh, an ERA in the low threes in the second half for their whole pitching staff. Um, and also they were, uh, I saw this stat too, they were uh, the most consecutive games to end a season with a starting pitcher with one earned run or fewer with 11 games. And the Cubs had the most, I think more than the Mets, uh, more than the Phillies, I believe, and, and, and the Cardinals. So a lot of the, I mean, they were looking just like, they were looking like a playoff team in September, uh, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But yeah, no, I think, uh, and uh, Gabe, you talked about a lot of the bright spots too, in the sense, you know, Nico Horner, uh, Christopher Morrell, and those guys, they definitely were like the reasons to watch the games every day, right? It's like Christopher Morrell, Seiya Suzuki, uh, Marcus Stroman also, the big second half he had, you know, made it, made it seem again like it, the, it was worth it. The contract was worth it because early on in the season, you know, he was struggling, obviously. Uh, had a stint on the IL, and people were saying, oh, it was a waste of money, blah, blah, blah. He's going to opt out. He's definitely not going to opt out now. And he's even talking about recruiting people already. So uh, it's stuff you, you like to see. Also, um, uh, with the way that uh, Wilson Contreras and Ian have stayed, um, you know, it gives you, I mean, and me and Miles have talked about it. I don't necessarily think Contreras is going to stay. Ian Happ, of course, has another year of control. Um, but if if Contreras, you know, the fact that he stayed here for the second half, you know, gives you a little hope for Cubs fans that he might stay for another, you know, for, for an extension. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be, a, you know, obviously a big off season. Um, but the thing is, now looking ahead, um, who do you think is an actual, uh, a legitimate, has a legitimate shot of being signed by the Cubs? Is it is it the obvious Trey Turner's? Is it, you know, uh, Carlos Rodon? Or uh, what? what's one guy? or a couple guys that you think the Cubs are for sure going to gun for this offseason? I'll start with you, Gabe. I could see them trying to gun for Carlos Correa. I don't know how they make it work with Horner, but mm-hmm. Correa is a guy who can play multiple positions to me, and it is very intriguing. And he never really struck me as a guy that, even when he signed with Minnesota, was you know fully committed to being there in Minnesota for the long term. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I think that that's a guy that, the Cubs could see to explore and, and possibly pursue. I, I think he'd be one of the lead guys that they pursue. And Correa is a guy who, even though he's coming off of, you know, a year 
that didn't go as good as it did last year. He was on a roster that was decimated with a lot of injuries. Um, his RBIs, you know, were kind of impacted by that. And, you know, the lack of power that was behind mm -hmm. him in that lineup or, you know, ahead of him and so forth in Minnesota. So I, I, I can see him being a guy that they, they seek to go after and probably is their, their main target. Yeah, yeah, I share that same sentiment. And it's like, you know, it's between Correa, and I think they're going to have their eye on Bogarts as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think there's there, there's some very solid candidates, but I think in terms of a long-term goal um, and a player that's still fairly young, I think Carlos Correa fits that well. Um, and then, you know, I think about, I, I also think about, okay, where are we going to put Nico Horner? And I, and I also remember, you know, we could play different positions, a little bit of second base, a right. little bit of third base, not too much. You can poke him in center field. Um, and so, you know, I, I really like, I really like that aspect that you can move Nico Horner around as a ball player myself. I always, I always said when you're doing good, don't really mess with it. Even if it's, you know, a defensive change and I'm, and I'm hitting like 300, but I think Nico Horner has that maturity and that ability to be moved around anywhere and he'll be mm -hmm. just fine. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, I think Correa, Correa is fair game. Um, I think Bogarts is fair game as well. I think that depends on where the Red Sox are trying to go. Are they going to try to compete mm -hmm. next year or are they just going to, you know, continue to kind of break things down or kind of figure out where they're going? Um, with the Dodgers, I'd be very surprised they didn't bring back Trey Turner. I'd be very, very surprised. By, but, you know, that's a team that's so good. I'm not going to say they're going to be good without them, but, you know, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of leeway there. So, you know, I think, I think it, there's the uh, – multiple different players that we could look at, but I really do like Carlos Correa coming to the Cubs. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, he, he kind of fits this, that Cubs personality. He's a little bit full of himself. <laughs> um, but I, I do believe, uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, if he comes to Chicago and just performs well and, you know, and adapts to Wrigley Field and the fans, I can see something very good coming out of that. So, you know, I can see, you know, Carlos Correa the most out of all the candidates right now. Yeah, and definitely, I feel like him and his personality with Marcus Stroman would fit just fine. I mean, those those two guys yeah. that just definitely feel themselves, and, and, and definitely, infield, yeah, exactly, much. yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing too is like I know, um, uh, if you would have told me the year uh, like before uh, this this past season that you know the Cubs were considering moving Horner over to second, putting Correa at shortstop, I would have been like, of course, that's probably one of the best middle infield in the game defensively, right? Correa did take a step back defensively. But I will say this too is that, and we again we've talked about another episode, Miles, and the fact that the Cubs are considering moving Nico or you know over to second. But you know when you really think about it, and I've heard a lot of people's opinions on this, and is is he's so good at defense, it doesn't matter where it doesn't matter where he plays, and and especially second base, if you pair him up with a Correa, pair him up with a Trey Turner, and I also understand the fact that if a guy like Trey Turner or a guy like Correa comes over here and they're making over 150, 200, you know, mil. I understand why they're going to have, they're going to have to play at shortstop, you know, premier position. Um, but yeah. So uh, also in the fact that David Ross, how, uh, how do you assess uh, how he's been as a, as a manager? I know even he talked about kind of um, how he feels left out, you know, with the playoffs, you know, starting this or starting already this week and, you know, he wants to be there bad. Do I know I've heard some people say or it'll be like, oh, like is David Ross, you know, the transition guy or is he going to stay here? Me, honestly, in, in my opinion, I think he's definitely going to stay be here for the long run. I just think he knows the organization so well and, the, and how he's handled this sort of, uh, again, rebuild or retool, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you guys think in that in that perspective, Gabe? Like, 
uh, you see David Ross as the long-term guy? For now, he is. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know how situations can change. I mean, I think the Cubs are in a similar position to what the White Sox were in, you know, coming into this decade with Rick Renteria. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you told me after the 2019, if you'd asked me after the 2019 season, is Rick Renteria the guy long-term for the White Sox? I probably would have said yes, even though he was a, a bridge gap guy for the mm-hmm. next guy to come. But at the time, we did not know, you know, what the White Sox ceiling was truly, but we did know that it was going to begin in 2020. I don't mm-hmm. think we know where the Cubs championship window begins yet. And it's really, I really feel like it's, it's, it's starting now. Like they're in the process of, it's like a semi-rebuild, except they retooled. You know, mm-hmm. and Jed Hoyer did an excellent job getting some guys back in the trades when they gave up, you know, parts that would keep cognizant to their team in 2016, such mm-hmm. as Javier Baez. You know, he got Pete Crow Armstrong back in that deal from the Mets, who was a first-round draft pick in 19 and is one of the best prospects in the Cubs farm system right now. So I think that the, it, it depends on what all transpires from 2023 onward. But as of right now, yes, David Ross is the guy. I, I truly believe that he showed great leadership with this young group. And that's, you know, something that you don't want to mess with. I feel like if you're Jay Hoyer in the front office staff, you know, you, you let it ride and you see where this goes. And if you over exceed expectations and, you know, things tend to change, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It all depends on, you know, how fast they're trying to get to that point. Where are mm-hmm. these prospects at in terms of development? Um, who are we able to get this year? Who are we able not to get this year? I think it all. I think there's so much that plays into it. Um, and really, going off what Gabe said, you know, it, it it depends. There might there might be another candidate, you know, one or two years down the line that may yeah. be a better fit. Um, but for the most part, as of right now, I can see him as a long term guy. I think for someone who's not working with too much and hasn't been working with too much over the past few years since we parted ways with some of our beloved players of Chicago, he's handled this team amazing. He's been incredible. Um, He knows every single guy so well. He knows where to put guys. Every lineup may not seem very competitive, but for the most part, the Cubs stayed in a lot of games this year. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that alone says a lot. And if you give him some, uh, you know, a couple of more big contract guys to work with, who knows what can happen? Who knows? I, I I really the Cubs remind me a lot of the Red Sox right now, where sometimes the Red Sox would like to make it to the playoffs and then have a losing record the next season, and then you know see you in the ALCS or I'll see mm-hmm. you in the World Series. Um, so I think I think you know it all depends on you know how all the cards play out. You know, it's uh, there's many different scenarios that I can see coming out of this, but I think I think David Ross is your guy. I kind of you know I I know a lot of fans reference 2016, but that was a magical year for many different reasons. He understands the grind of getting through a very long season. He did it with the Red Sox. He did it with the Cubs. Um, so there's so much knowledge that he has in terms of being around a winning culture and building a winning team that I think is very valuable. And I think adding to the fact that he knows how to manage a team very well, he showed it this year. Why not keep him around? But, you know, anything can change. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, you, yeah, you make a good point in the fact that the way they play this year says a lot, and it, and it does say a lot. I feel like also if he is staying for the long term, I think it, I think that if the Cubs would have lost like a hundred games this year, I think it's easier to be like, eh, you know, they're gonna need someone else. But I think the way that he handled this year and the way that he, you know, 
um, work with this young team, I think kind of won the job if that is to, you know, if, if it's, it's his job to win um, in, in that, you know, for the long run type of thing. Um, but yeah, so the Cubs, of course, finished 2022, 74 and 88 uh, with a big off season. And of course uh, we'll be keeping you guys posted on all the off season stuff that happens um, and for sure have some off season shows. All right. So now we'll shift our focus to the South side of Chicago where the white Sox finished 81 and 81. And I've been seeing everywhere uh, that that's like you know, such an appropriate uh, record for the Sox with how they played all season. Uh, just, We'll start off with you, Gabe, obviously you being the Sox, Sox expert here, Sox fan here. You tell us, man, what are your initial thoughts as the season is finally come to an end? Well, you know, it, it's ups and downs in any in any window. It's going to be highs and lows, but it, it, it was a lot of lessons learned for me, you know, just sitting back watching games. I, I went to a lot of games this season, more than I have in the last several years. And I saw a team at times that when the offense was clicking, and, you know, guys were hitting home runs and, you know, the, the ball go far, team go far, as Rick Haas says oftentimes, the general manager, the team looked very good. But when they were in close games and the simple things needed to be done, this was a team that could not do it. Um, whether, you know, it was defensively, doing things simple is just hitting the cutoff man. You know, Jay Kuda, who I follow on Twitter, is great with sock stats and whatnot. He posted a compilation of videos that showcased a lot of um, troubles that this team had when it came to not only defensive play, but situational hitting and, and key moments of games. You know, I, I can I can recollect so many games watching this season where, you know, the White Sox would have the bases loaded with less than one out or nobody out. And, you know, ABs weren't properly executed. Guys weren't showcasing great plate discipline, you know, swinging at balls in the dirt, swinging at balls outside the zone, chasing. And it's one thing to chase when you're hitting home runs at the level that you did in 2021, which garnered you 93 wins in the AL Central Division crown. It's another thing when you're in the middle of a division race with the season on the line and every game is must win. This was a team that did not take care of business as many people thought that they were early on in the year and in a season where there is no game 163 in a season where everything in future seasons will come down to tiebreakers between opponents in the division you must take care of beating the opponents in your division the white Sox only has success against the detroit tigers in the central division they posted a losing record against every other team in the central division from the royals the twins and the cleveland guardians the team that they needed to beat and did the little things right, which is why they ended up winning the Central Division. So I, I I look at a team that still has a ton of promise, but they're missing a lot of leadership in the locker room from a vocal standpoint. They're missing simple fundamentals, and they're going to need someone to come in there who teaches that and stresses that from the moment it's time to go to Camelback Ranch um, come February for spring training. But that's really everything I've been saying this entire season. This entire season. Um, it's always the little things. As a ball player, our coaches are telling us it's the, it's the little things that, you know, you got to execute that makes the biggest difference. That's what I learned at Oakland when I played there. Um, you know, the, the defensively, they didn't, they didn't show who they really are this year. I've always felt that this White Sox team, when I look at them on paper, 
this should be one of the best defensive teams in baseball, period. There's, 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 no one can change my mind about that. You got Tim Anderson, you even Josh Harrison at 34 years old. Um, he's always been a wizard of a defender. And I think, I think there is this, you know, kind of, kind of everything I said this year, the, 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 the leadership, I think, I think was lacking a little bit. Someone in that locker room to say, Hey, let's go. You know, we, we, we can't be kicking the ball around. And on top yeah. of that, not executing when we have runners in scoring position, we can't do it. Now, with that being said, they, they did have some games this year where I was like, this Sox team can hit the crap out of the ball. And I think it's just finding that consistency and just getting that a consistent approach. Now, now I look at players, you know, I look at players like Jose Abreu, who is always being consistent. This has a very mature approach. Has the, you know, he doesn't try to do too much of the play. And I think he was asked a really stupid question earlier, earlier uh, this week where they were saying, like, why are your home run numbers down? <laughs> Hold on. Wait, you're, that's what you're focusing on? You got to look at this team offensively as a whole. I think Obreu's whole mindset is like, hey, if I'm going to try to just send the ball over the wall every single time, you know, that may not help us all that much. And when I say that he's a mature hitter, his his approach was just much more simple. Drive the ball to the outfield, get on base, get the runners over, get some runs in. And I think I think is that uh, that approach right there, I think, you know, kind of is something that the Sox should look at going into next year because this team is so talented. They're so talented. And it's just uh I'm fr- I'm 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 frustrated for Sox fans. You know what I mean? Because this is such a this is such a talented team. And at the end of the day, Chicago team, man. We're all from Chicago. And I think it's just something uh I think there's so much that they have to address with this, but it's very, very fixable. But I don't want this organization to kind of go into this season feeling comfortable, feeling like, you know, we kind of got things in the bag. We're gonna be okay. That's not true in any sport, but I 100% believe the White Sox can bounce back. But there's things pitching wise that they got to fix. Um, and there's just, you know, just fixing these approaches at the plate. Well, I, to add to your point on that, Miles, I don't think they can rest on their laurels. I think resting on their laurels is what cost them the division this year. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah for yeah. the last several years, the biggest team needs have been second base and right field. And with all due respect to Josh Harrison, you know, who's a, a two to three time all-star, had mm-hmm. some great years in Pittsburgh, had a great, you know, second half in Oakland when he got traded there late in the um, regular season last year. He came here and he was a veteran voice in the, in the locker room and a clubhouse leader. I like that. But he's in his mid-30s now. He's not the same right. player. Mm-hmm. Right field, you have no disrespect to Gavin Sheets. I like Gavin Sheets. He has one of the most beautiful swings in baseball, I think. When he went down to Charlotte, it became a big blessing for him working with Chris Johnson. He retooled his approach at the plate. He became a solid hitter and one of the more consistent hitters on the team during the second half of the season who wasn't named Eloy Jimenez. But he's a first baseman. And even though he developed Mm -hmm. over the season at right field, he's not an everyday right fielder. Andrew Vaughn in left field. This is a team that has several different DHs and they don't, and, and pretty much first base guys. And some of these guys are going to have to go. And I understand your yeah. point when you talk about, you know, the question being asked to Abreu about his power. But when Abreu typically hits 30 and 100 mm-hmm. home runs and you don't see it, I can kind of understand why that came about. But 
at this time, he did have to sacrifice the power numbers just to get runs in. That's what I think it was. Because this was a team that yeah. was struggling to get runs and manufacture mm -hmm. runs, and the power just was not there. But it wasn't just for Jose. It was mm -hmm. across the board. Yeah, Lonnie yeah. Grandal, through the first half of last year, was one of the best hitting catchers in all of baseball. His walk weight was extremely high. He didn't walk hardly this year. He struck out a lot more, too, and he wasn't as aggressive at the plate, especially when he had counts of 2-0 or 3-1, and that's a problem. And, and then you also have guys who played less than half of the season. Tim Anderson only played 79 games, but he was a starting shortstop for the American League in the All-Star game. Luis Robert, this was a guy who in mid-July, when they were in Minnesota, he hits a grand slam. Most White Sox fans are saying this is the biggest hit of the season, and this is going to propel the team to getting the top of the AL Central. He had issues with dizziness. He had bouts with COVID. Had the wrist injury. Every single time the guy continued to try and show you signs of promise, he was getting hurt. And his second half, as a result of it, was crushed. And he went from showing, you know, power numbers, batting over 300 and stuff in the first half to the second half. He only manufactured two RBIs. This is a team that just wasn't healthy. Eloy Jimenez missed an extensive amount of time. But when he came back in the second half, he was the best hitter in the American League, not named Aaron Judge. You know, and, 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 and you have fans say, well, he's a he's a, a designated hitter. Yes, he is a designated hitter, but he may have to play some left field for you on a part-time basis as well. This team has so many issues when it comes to depth that they have to seek to recalibrate going into the offseason in the effort to put themselves atop of not only the American League Central, but to be a power player potentially year in and year out over the course of the next several years to compete for AL pennants and world series championships. Yeah, no, of course. And, and the one thing too, that I, I want to point out to what you said, Gabe, is the fact that uh, the second base thing and just, you know, the vacancies in general in the lineup, but the one that Sox fans always talk about is that second base one. And I saw this tweet that I think I might've mentioned, I think last episode or a couple episodes ago, but it was opening day. And I'm sure you saw this opening day. I Oh yeah, maybe that's where yeah. I saw it from. We retweeted, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was uh, all the second basements since uh, all the different second basements since 2017. They had uh, yeah. Tyler Saladino in 2017, Yoan Moncada in 2018, Yomer Sanchez in 2019, Larry Garcia in 2020, Nick Madrigal 2021, Josh Harrison 2022, and those are the opening day second basements for the Sox. And, and in 2023, most likely it will mark the seventh different second baseman in a row. Um, yeah. so that just, I think that just says it all in, in, in the sense of what the Sox need was one of the things the Sox need, I should say, but also another thing that I, you know, kept saying, you know, cause the whole year it was more of like, it was always right. Even for non-Sox fans, like I was saying it, I was like, you know, just wait until this happens, wait until this happens. And it just never, it just never came, you know, came to fruition. A, a guy like, uh, Lucas Gilito was, you know, just had a rough year all around and 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 that's if you want to point to a guy that kind of personified the sock season of just not being able to get over he would have a good start he would have a good start and then the next start again another you know rough one so it, it, he kind of personified the socks if you want to point to one guy um but i will say this plenty of negatives to talk about there but I wanted to I wanted to talk about also the positives in the sense of who uh who do you guys think was the Sox MVP this year um I will say for me, there's plenty of options because you look at Jose Abreu. You guys talked about how good he was this year. Um, Eloy Jimenez, how good he was in the second half. Uh, but I would say for me, it'd probably be Dylan Cease. 
Uh, I just think how good he was overall and just one of the best pitchers in the league. Uh, definitely a Cy Young candidate. Uh, you know, so th- that guy, I think, is the one that carried him. I think without him, they wouldn't even have a shot at, you know, where, you know, of making the postseason as they did. Uh, so I'll start with you, Miles. Wh- who would you say is the Sox uh, MVP this year? I got to go Dylan Cease. I I have to. I think he was so solid this entire season. Um, And in terms of just like watching him pitch, just locating his pitches, burying his breaking pitches, keeping hitters very off balance. If you look at a lot of his starts, you could tell when hitters very uncomfortable. He had the majority of hitters that he faced extremely uncomfortable in the batter's box. And you could tell when a guy is up there guessing. When you have hitters up there guessing, you're doing your job right. They're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They're not sure about what's to come. They're not sure about... Do I swing? Do I not swing? Then you're getting like these half check swings and swings and misses or swinging at pitches that are not even in the zone. Amazing, amazing job by Dylan Cease this year. Um, he just keeps on improving. So I think that alone, obviously, aside uh, Jose Abreu, he, you know, he's like one of the, the brightest spots. And honestly, for me, not even on the White Sox, but just in baseball in general for pitchers, he was he was amazing this year. So I. I think that's something, you know, to to feel good about going into next year, that there are a lot of great things that happened this year for the White Sox. Um, but, you know, I think I think for me, Dylan Cease was just incredible. Uh, for me, as much as I, I, I understand the the love for Dylan Cease, and he was a guy that should have been an all-star, um, make no, no doubt about it. If you're looking at it from the numbers and the production, Game in, game out. Every fifth day he took the mound. Yeah, he was the MVP. But to me, it was Johnny Cueto. And uh, I'll I tell you why. 21 out of 24 of his starts, he went six innings or more. That's a quality start. He was guaranteed to do that just about every time he took the mound. On top of that, he was allowing three earned runs or less. And to me, he was the definition of Mr. Consistent. And he taught guys how to work. You know, just seeing the work that he puts in towards every single start, running the stairs, had Luis Robert running the stairs with him after his last start uh, to close out the season on Monday night. You know, he he he's a veteran that led by example. And he didn't do it j- just, you know, with his, with his voice and with his work ethic. He did it with his pitching on the mound. And for a guy that, you know, was dealing with some injuries over the last couple of years to come into this situation healthy on a minor league deal and didn't get his first start until I want to say either late May or early June and to mm-hmm. contribute to the level in which he did. Um, he was a true professional in every sense of the word. And he took a lot of the young players on the ball club under, like under his wing, such as Reynaldo Lopez. I don't think Reynaldo Lopez has the year he has as a setup man in the bullpen, if not for the leadership of Johnny Cueto. Mm-hmm. I truly don't. Um, he, he, he took a, a, a lot of those young pitchers, you know, under his wing. I, I look at the way that they gravitated towards him as well, just going to a lot of his starts from July onward. And I went to a great deal of home games. And Cueto was always the guy that that team rallied around and pitched with a lot of desire and, and, and fire. And, and like, I, I think about the game he had when he went eight and two thirds against Cleveland in August in a much in a must win game in, a, in the middle of a three game set. He He shut down one of the, most consistent offense in baseball that hardly strikes out. And, you know, to do what he did at 36 or 35 years old, I don't know if he'll be back next year, but I think a lot of White Sox fans um, will have a greater appreciation for him no matter where he goes, just for what he did this season. Because without guys like that, 
You know, you expect that. I expected Dylan Cease to make the climb upward. But what Johnny Cueto did, fantastic job. And he makes me wonder maybe if he started the season with the White Sox in the starting rotation over Dallas Keuchel, what this season could have been. Yeah, no, 100%. And we talked about it multiple times, Gabe, whether it be on, off air on, you know, on Twitter or something. That, man, Johnny Cueto just, I mean, a legend, Sox legend. And it sucks for this year. He would have been talked about way more, and 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 uh, especially if they would have made it to the playoffs. So I, I hope that it, the, his efforts this year are not forgotten in the next year. And if he does come back, that'd be awesome. Because I'm like, man, and we said it multiple times too in the fact that, they, you know, Sox, if the Sox would have made it to postseason especially, there would have been a Johnny Cueto statue built right next to that Canerco <laughs> one uh, at a uh, guaranteed rate. Uh, but another thing too is is just um, – what do you not necessarily not necessarily not excuse me not necessarily what they need, but is there a particular player that you think the Sox are eyeing? Gave like well, a particular. Uh, I'm sure again with the Cubs is different because they're eyeing like a superstar. Sox have guys that could be superstars. You know, next year when Luis Robert if he's healthy and all that, right? So, are there any guys that you you see that that the Sox could pick up like say maybe uh like a uh, Andrew Benintendi for example something like that who oh, anyone in particular come to mind I would love Andrew Benintendi mm -hmm. for the simple fact that he's a, a left-handed bat that you could put in the outfield mm -hmm. and that's something that this team desperately needs even though you have Oscar Colas in the mm -hmm. minors who's been yeah. raking you know from double a in Birmingham and carried that to Charlotte to close the year a guy who I believe will be ready to you know, be an everyday right fielder for this ball club in 2023 by May, or if not the 1st of June, you need that left-handed bat. Mm -hmm. And I think not having enough left-handed bats kind of harm this lineup in a lot of ways. Andrew Benintendi would be a perfect guy to fulfill that need. Another guy I think that would be great, even though he didn't play this year due to the injury that he suffered, is Michael Conforto. You know, he was a guy that was heavily linked to the White Sox prior to going down. And, you know, with the way that the offseason went due to the labor disputes and, you know, not knowing if we were going to have a season due to the lockout, you know, talk start or what have you. But I think that's a, a, a situation that they need to revisit. If you could get either one of those guys, I think that would be a plus. Brandon Nemo would be a guy that I would keep a close oh, eye yeah. on as well. Another left-handed bat, a guy that can play all three positions in the outfield. Um, this team needs depth because when this team was decimated by injury, they were relying on a lot of guys who were first time major leaguers or not everyday major leaguers to kind of bail them out of troubles, if you will. Danny Mendick going down after having a hot stretch in June hurt this team. You, you know, I, they, they got to they fulfill some depth needs and, and whoever they bring in, he has to be able to play multiple positions. Mm -hmm. uh, be it in the outfield or even in the infield. They need platoon guys that are everyday major leaguers that are ready to step up in the case that one of the top guys go down and they don't miss a beat. Yeah, 100%. And I will say this too is the despite this season, the Sox still expect to be in the postseason next year for sure. Uh, compared to the Cubs, are kind of like wondering. Sox are definitely a team that uh, expect to be there next season. Uh, we'll shift over now to the postseason talk. Uh, now, you know, as the postseason officially starts tomorrow, recording this on a Thursday, so it technically starts today. Um, but the wild card round starts on Friday, right? So 
we want I wanted to go through each round, kind of get you guys' opinion, kind of gauge what you guys think of each team. Um, so we'll just get right into it. So with the wild card uh, date, uh, first day tomorrow, the first game of the day, Tampa Bay, Cleveland. So that that series, uh, I mean, I think you could say this about all of them, really, when you look at them, is that they could go either way, um, all four wild card series. Um, but for you guys, uh, I'll start with you, Miles. Uh, what what is your initial thoughts on that series of Tampa Bay and Cleveland, and how many games do you think it's going to go? Oh gosh, that's yeah, kind of like what you said. I think it can go either way, but I think I think the Rays are kind of a seasoned playoff team at this point. Now, what they've been doing a lot over the past few years is getting into the playoffs, but not always finishing it. Aside from mm. 2020, um, but they're still a very good playoff team, and I think that experience is going to help them. Um, but you look at the Guardians, this is a team that's playing with a lot of momentum and confidence after, you know, rightfully rightfully taking the AL Central uh, for theirs. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to go with the Rays, but don't hold me to that. What about you, Gabe? I, this is what the most interesting series to me out of all the series in the, in the wild card round. You talk about the two teams with the fewest amount of home runs during the regular season among the 12 teams in the playoffs. You're talking about the team, the two teams with the lowest ERAs among any team playing in the wild card round. Um, Tampa Bay can win the series, but this is a team that's been struggling. If I'm not mistaken, they lost mm-hmm. five straight. You know, they had a real rough stretch toward, you know, to close out their season that is a Sox fan, I'm kind of a little bit bitter about because, like, the White Sox have continued to play some good baseball. They could have had a shot at the wild card, but that's neither here mm-hmm. nor there. Um, but for the Rays, which, what version of Shane McClanahan is showing up? Yeah. Is my mm-hmm. question. Are you going to get the dominant guy that in the first half was holding majority of teams that he went up against to one run or less and had an ERA under two and was good enough to earn the starting nod for the American League in the All-Star game? Are you getting a guy that's posted an ERA over four and walked, you know, like double the amount of batters that than he did in the first half? Which guy's showing up? Is Tyler mm-hmm. Glasnow gonna be ready after you know having Tommy John surgery and being out for the majority of the last year and a half to recover from that? That's a guy mm-hmm. they're gonna be calling upon, you know, to, to to put together some quality baseball against this Guardians team that doesn't strike out a lot. They hit for contact, and they will take the 90 feet, you know, if you mm-hmm. give it to them. And they're going to keep you alert defensively. They play very similar to the White Sox when they won the championship in 05. And that's a team that I saw a lot of, and I, I have a great deal of respect for. I just want to know who's going to show up with the power. Because to mm-hmm. me, the team that does is the team that wins this series. This series can definitely go either way, but I'm going to go with Cleveland uh, to win – and I think it's a three-game series because it's going to come down to who gets the hits in key situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. And I was going to talk about McClanahan because that was, in my opinion, that's the make or break of the series. And I think that if it's because I don't, it's it's believed that he's not 100% healthy. He's had plenty of injuries, whether it be the mm-hmm. neck, neck spasms um, or the shoulder injury. 
Um, it, it doesn't look like he's fully healthy, so I don't think that it's going to work out for the Rays. That's why I'm picking Cleveland. I just think the, the pitching for Cleveland is just going to be that much better. I know Miles makes a good point. Rays have been there, done that, right? So it, it definitely would not surprise me. Again, it's like a coin flip, but I think if I had to put my money on a team, it's going to be uh, Jose Ramirez and, 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 the, and, and the Guardians. Uh, be, just because of the fact that I think their lineup's a bit better. They have a little more clutch hitting, as you mentioned before in the show, Andres Jimenez. Um, so they got plenty of firepower in that lineup compared to uh, Tampa Bay. They just don't have that that guy. Wander, Wander Franco has not been the guy that they expected. Of course, injuries and, and all that stuff have hindered his season. But it, I, I don't see the Rays uh, coming out on top on that one. I think the pitching for the, for the Guardians and the bullpen um, is just, I think, better uh, than the Rays. Uh, so moving on to that series, and, and again, I will say that one, I do also believe that it'll be three games. You got something to say? One thing I want to keep, I want people to keep in mind though, about that Rays mm-hmm. Guardian series, Shane McClanahan's a lefty. The Rays, yeah. I mean, yeah, for the Rays, the Guardians mm-hmm. typically struggle against left-handed pitching mm-hmm. a great deal, even though they did rock McClanahan early on in the second half of the season. It kind of led to the downfall, mm-hmm. a downward spiral that we saw. But if they struggle, you know, which they typically do. And they have, like, they're left-handed heavy. Steven Kwan, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Naylor, you know, Jose Ramirez. Those guys, like, they typically struggle against lefties. So, like, if they don't come out on top, I can see why Miles says Temple Bay could win. But if they get to him, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a long day at the office for Temple. Yeah, because I, I definitely think that's the – I mean, in, in these wild-card games, it being, you know, best of three – uh, that first game feels like a swing game. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it, you know, that's, it's a huge game. So, um, and yeah, and, and as you, and you mentioned before these two, uh, you know, the guardians are, con- you know, contact heavy team. So are the Rays. But the yeah. thing with the, with the, with the guardians is, is that, you know, they, they have a guy, Jose Ramirez, I think he's going to be the difference. That's to me. Um, the guardians also have, I saw this too today. They have the, uh, the, the player with the lowest OPS in the majors is on the, is in the guardians lineup is a mile straw. So that was kind of interesting to, to look at in that perspective. But even then it's the playoffs. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, moving on to the second game of the day, it's going to be the Cardinals and the Phillies. Uh, this again, another series that could go either way. Um, uh, we'll start uh, with you, Gabe. Uh, Phillies and Cardinals. Uh, who do you think is going to take it and how many games? I'm going to go with St. Louis. I, I think this is a series that even though, I think they I think they'll win it with just the two games. I think the games could be close. But St. Louis offensively is just, you know, they're clicking on all cylinders right now, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they got the NL MVP over there, in my opinion, and Paul Goldsmith. You know, you, you got Nolan Arenado. You you got Albert Pujols, you know, finding power resurgences, you know, to get his 700 home run and whatnot. I don't think he's going to stop that or not be motivated to, you know, especially with – you know, with this being his last year, trying to go out on top with Yadier Molina and Adam Rain, mm-hmm. right? Who all came in together and were part of that 06 championship squad over there. I think if they find a way to get the Phillies bullpen early, it's going to be a problem. Granted, Philly has a good bullpen, but they're typically a bullpen that, you know, they don't like to really be stretched out a lot. And if you stretch that bullpen out, you get into that bullpen early, it's going to spell problems. And I, I just think the Cardinals offensively right now are just too hot. And I, I think that they're going to find a way to take care of business, especially in St. Louis, where you know that crowd is going to be rocking. That's one of the best venues for playoff baseball come this time of year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
the the Cardinals are a team that I think I think I still believe to a certain extent they've kind of been overlooked just a little mm-hmm. bit this year. Just because, you know, there are – you look at teams like the Dodgers and the Braves, very talented ball clubs. People kind of look down on the NL Central a little bit. Um, but, you know, going to Gabe's point, this is this is a lineup that they can hit. They can hit really well. Um, now, September was kind of a hard month when you look at, you know, Goldschmidt and, and Arenado. But these are two very seasoned players. Um, they've proven time in and time out. They, they know how to hit. They're going to hit. Um, so I just, you know – I. <laughs> And there's so much, there's so much um, momentum that they're working with right now. And the Cardinals have historically always been a very good playoff team. They always find their way in the playoffs mm-hmm. some way, somehow. So I think that's something that you got to respect. And I look at Philly. I think Philly kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say they scratched their way in, but it was it was kind of a weird battle from the get in there. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of they kind of, you know, lost a little momentum in September, kind of had some weird games going on. The Brewers fell off and that kind of gave them the way to go through. And, I, you know, even even getting swept by the Cubs here, they are. Um, but, you know, I think that there's still lots of respect there. I think Schwarber's still a good presence at the plate. Obviously, he has a lot of, you know, experience within th- this part of baseball. Um, I think Bryce Harper is someone who you got to respect. Um, JT Rowe, you too. Very, very, very uh, mature hitter. Reese Hoskins, very scary hitter at the plate. Brings a lot of presence with him. Um, even with that being said, I still I still got to go with the Cardinals. I, I look at Nick, Nick Castellanos, who's also a very good hitter on this ball club. But I just think the Cardinals have much more of a presence. Um, starting pitching, okay, all right. I mean, if we're going to go with Wayne Wright for game one, sure. I mean, whatever. Um, but still, I think this is a team that can get away with that. I think, uh, you know, the rotation is solid. I think the bullpen is solid. Um, I just think that they outlast the Phillies. I really do. I don't think this series is going to go very long. Uh, I just think the Cardinals are just an overall better ball club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and actually they, they announced today they're going with Quintana. But I agree with yeah. – I still agree with what you're saying in the sense yeah, that they, yeah, can get, yeah. they can get away with it. I still I yeah. still agree with that because because going into the year, if you told me Quintana is their game one starter, I would have laughed. I would be like, no way, right? Cause I know there's some a, debate there between him and Wayne right yeah, going game yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. They had, but, I mean, Quintana had a resurgent year. and uh, But, like, <laughs> the thing is – and the thing is, this is one of those series that when I looked at it at first, I was like, Phillies are going to take it because they got Wheeler, they got Nola. They just had, they, it is, they look better to me. But thinking about it over and like just thinking about it in my head and just you know thinking of all the possibilities, as Gabe you said, the offense is the one that spoke to me the most, as well as the as well as the bullpen. They have you know Helsley in there, like dude, they, they, that guy could throw a ball through a wall, so he, he you know throws flames. So uh, that guy and uh, among other guys in the bullpen, that's the one other thing that convinced me that I think the Cardinals are going to win this series, and I think I think this one's going to go with three for me. Uh but I think either way, the again with the game one being the swing game, I think if the Phillies get two dominating starts from Nola and Wheeler, then then they have a better shot of taking the series. But they need those guys to be on their A game, especially in St. Louis. Again, it's going to be hard, as you said, Gabe, with that crowd and all that. Um, but the, it, it is going to be another series that could easily again. Uh, just have a lot of runs, and I think if we're gonna if they're gonna be scoring a lot of runs, I think it's gonna go the Cardinals' way. So, um, and again, that experience too, I think it needs to be said at, at some point too. Is is you know having Wayne Wright, you know Molina and and Pools that guys have been there and done that. Um, I think says a lot. 
Um, another series too. Now another American League series is the third game of the day. That's the uh, Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. Now this series again is is one of those series that uh, is going to show off a lot of the young talent in uh, Major League Baseball, and it, it rightfully so is smack dab in the middle of the day there, um, in the evening. So, uh, uh, Gabe, what do you think about this series between the Blue Jays and the Mariners? I mean, if you like if you like seeing high leverage bullpens and high-powered offense go up against one another, this is your series. Seattle mm-hmm. has one of the best bullpens in, in all of baseball. They have, you know, Luis Castillo, all-star, you know, starting pitcher, who's been a, a hell of a addition to this ball club since they acquired him in the middle of the season at the trade deadline. Julio Rodriguez, to my opinion, the American League Rookie of the Year, best rookie in the American League, probably outside of Ali Rushman. You know, who I think was deserving of some votes as well, but I, I had to give it to Julio. You know, if you look at the, the body of work throughout the, the rest of the year, it speaks for itself. Um, I, I really like the Seattle club. And, you know, you also got uh, Mitch Hanniger, you know, had a hell of a year as, as well. This team been building to get to this point, you know, to erase the longest playoff drought in um, North American sports. Congratulations to him. But Toronto, you know, this offense, man, they come at you. You know, Bo Bichette over the last month and a half to me has been the best hitter in the American League. You're talking about, you know, putting up three homer games against Baltimore, making it look easy. Could have easily been a star and shortstop for the American League. You know, as much as I love Tim Anderson, Bo mm-hmm. Bichette had the all-around complete year. Um, In my opinion, when you look at the body of work he put together, you got Vlad Jr. over there. You got Matt Chapman, who's, you know, hit 27 home runs. This this team, man, and you got her, you know, Hernandez and stuff, and those boys. That team, to me, offensively, what they can do, it, I know they're a wild card team, but you, 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 you mess around with your pitches, you leave some stuff up, they're gonna make you pay. They're gonna make you pay, and, and I, I really gotta go with Toronto when it's all said and done. But I, I'm, and I think it's a three game series because I think it's gonna be a lot of cat and mouse back and forth play. But th- this is gonna be a real fantastic and fun series to watch and the one that I know I definitely be have my eyes glued on the most. Oh yeah, I'm I'm going Blue Jays. This is the ball club that just <laughs> they yeah. catch barrels. They catch yeah. barrels. They they hit everyone hits in this lineup. Yeah. And and you look you like you know like Gabe said, you look at Vladdy, you look at Bo Bichette, who started very cold this year if you, if you guys remember. Got mm-hmm. off to a little bit of a weird start. He, he kind of had some controversy going on with the media saying like, he's probably not going to have a good year turns it around and almost has 190 hits. We're not even talking about Alejandro Kirk, who also had a solid year, kind of was, you know, cooled off a little bit in that second half a little bit, but still extremely, extremely solid. Um, Matt Chapman, someone who has not always been known for his hitting, but has been solid enough to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's so there's so many different, you know, aspects of the Blue Jays that I look at, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if this is going to be a long series. Alec Manoa. I mean, come on now. It's, it's, it's almost not even fair. Big, big bear. I mean, come, and by the way, we're going to talk about Jose Brias right now. Didn't have that great of a year, but I still respect his stuff. I always say the playoffs, you're a different player. All of your regular season stats, you, we can reference them, but they don't matter. Yeah. I have confidence that he's actually going to lock it in with whatever game he's starting. I don't know which game he's going to pitch. Um I just think that there's so much great to take away from uh, Kevin Gossman, who I think got out to another good start this year, then kind of got tagged in the later half of the year. 
you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of good to look at there. I think when it comes to the Mariners, for me, I'm kind of highlighting a lot of their offensive stats. By the way, Julio Rodriguez, amazing, amazing year. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think I chose him as the AL Rookie of the Year. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, and then <laughs> JP Crawford, you know, I think he has a presence. Isn't like someone offensively who you're going to look at and be like, wow. Um, but defensively, come on, who does that? Um, Eugenio Suarez, I think he had kind of had a bounce back year. I don't really like how people are looking at the batting average all that much. And in my opinion, you look at 2022 as a whole, <laughs> it's not that bad. When you look at a lot of batting averages mm -hmm. uh, this year, um, Ty France, another solid player. I just think that this team is very offensive heavy. When it comes to pitching, you know, I, I guess as I'm looking at everything right now, Luis Castillo, someone who stands out to me, um, that's really about it. Robbie Ray can have a quality start here or there, but it's kind of been hit hard this year. Marco Gonzalez got hit pretty hard this year. I got to go with the Blue Jays. Yo, actually, I'm, I'm going to go against both of you guys. I'm, I'm going I'm going Seattle on this one. <laughs> okay. So, so I see, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't argue against it. <laughs> No, yeah, and it's the thing. Look, and like I said before, these could go either way. All these series, right? But this one, the only reason, the only reason I say that is just because I do, I do actually trust. If we're gonna pick either of the, of the pitching staffs, I do trust Seattle more, just because also they have a they have a solid bullpen too. With it, when it comes to um, uh, Paul Seawall and Andres Munoz, um, and I like Luis Castillo, but I I do a hundred percent. I could just imagine Manoa going off, uh, and the Blue Jays are sweeping. Because of the fact that um, if Julio Rodriguez is not, you know, if, if he's not 100%, uh, and also they're missing um, Sam Haggerty, which is a guy that was a big, you know, uh, one of their big mm -hmm. uh, uh, guys on, on the bases um, and just one of those pesky guys that uh, in their lineup that really, you know, helped them get to where they're at today. Uh, but I will say this was going to go three, and I, I will say Seattle's going to edge him out. Um, just because I think that the young pitching of the of the Mariners is going to come into effect. Um, Logan Gilbert, jo uh, George Kirby, um, even I mean, in the fact that Marco, Marco Gonzalez, I'm sure he's not going to make a start, but him out of the bullpen might be something that uh, will help them uh, get to where they want to be. But I mean, this is one of the series I think that's uh, I think kind of a little bit under underrated, underappreciated that nobody's really mentioned that much. Um, in the next one, I think people are the one talking about the most. But this Mariners and Blue Jays, I think, is going to be one of the better series overall, especially with the young talent and everything like that. Um, these are the type of games that I hope I see like eight, seven games, you know, not you know that type of thing going on. So um, I think you might get that. I really yeah, do. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. And if it if it does get to that level, I would have concern, even though I, I picked the Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. The 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 late inning relievers have been known to give up a lot of runs and, mm -hmm. and have big time meltdowns and collapses. That's all. That's always been my biggest question mark with Toronto. So I can understand why you would go with Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, losing Suarez is kind of tough too, though, to injury. Yeah. But they still got some pieces and they're in the clutch situation. They, they've won close games too. So you can't overlook yeah. that. Yeah. And also I, I really ultimately don't really trust also Romano at the end of the games. I think that he just, he does mm -hmm. get hard hit and there's a lot of contact on there. So that's yeah. another reason too. So but moving on to the next series, uh, it's the Mets and the Padres. And a lot of talk about this one, uh, especially today, uh, because of the news that it, it, I didn't that, that Jacob de <laughs> Oh, what I said? Okay. No, I just can't. <laughs> no, but uh, Jacob Degrom 
uh, he might not even be used for this series. Uh, they said uh, because um, he might not be, you know, ready for that fully healthy or just being a little bit protective over him, um, which, I mean, I think is uh, absurd, honestly, with it being Jacob DeGrom, you know. So uh, we'll start with you, Miles. Uh, who do you think uh, is going to win this series? And what, do you, what are your thoughts overall on the series as well as the whole uh, Jacob DeGrom thing going on? Yeah, no, I think uh, when I when I look at this Mets team, I think they don't want to take any more risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a very frustrating Mets team. They they really lost the division at the end of the year. Um, I think I think I think they're just trying to play it safe. Now, I'm not saying that like I'm I understand it like or like I agree with it. But there's been a few starts this year where Degrom's been hit pretty hard, and I look back at this his series. Against the Cubs, mm-hmm. he was just there. They were just catching barrels all the time. So I don't know where that comes from. Like I have, I could point to a few reasons. Maybe uh, I'm not totally against it. I think they're confident enough that they're going to get out of this wild card and then you know go to LA. So I think they're already looking ahead. Um, so I think I don't know. I think there's a few different reasons that I that I look at everything, but I really do trust this Mets team to kind of take care of business. Um, the Padres are a very solid ball club as well. I just, I do not believe that they're going to, you know, outlast a team like the Mets that is, that is, that were very, very solid during this season. Yeah, I, I, I'm with, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you, Miles. I mean, I, I think the Mets, they, they, they should win this series. You know, if you look at it on paper and what they've done all season long, I understand it's a bummer when you spent that many days in the division lead as long as they had been and to lose the division in the manner in which they did to Atlanta um, is tough. But I think going into the season, everybody knew that that was going to be a two-team race in in the National League East for the most part. And that it was never going to be easy, no matter how big of a lead that they built. You know, Atlanta, they've been there, done that. They showed it. With that being said, though, you know, the health of Jacob DeGrom does concern me and his starts over the last month do. You know, like he got tagged for a few runs in six innings against the Cubs, you know, when they yeah. went to New York and got swept. So, and then he had a, a out and after that where he got rocked a little bit. And I know coming off of injury, you know, that's tough. You know, and, and he's still one of the most dominant guys in, in the game when healthy. But if you know what they get out of him remains to be seen. You, I know Scherzer's going game one, mm-hmm. but what I've mm-hmm. heard, they're looking at it possibly going with DeGrom in game two. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they should win. But if like like me and Saul were talking about earlier, if these games become dog fights and you're talking about less than two runs being scored, and it's like 1-0-2-0-3-1-3-2 type games. I get kind of concerned because one thing about the Mets, they're not the best team at times when it comes to situational hitting. That's you know, true. In the, yeah. loss, yeah. In, the, in the loss of Starlin Marte, who was their most disciplined hitter, you know, and him not being ready for the wild card round, suffering with that middle finger injury, I, I, I do have my concerns. But then, you know, San Diego's been struggling a little bit too. Juan Soto hasn't been the guy that, you know, we, we know him to be and is advertised when he came in that blockbuster trade. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going with New York, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if this is a three-game series because if you you got to be careful if you're the Mets because if you start looking forward to L.A. and you're not taking it, um, 
consideration into who your opponent is and you're not locked in in the heat of battle, um, you it, it, anything can happen. This is October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. You Darvish on the mound as oh, well yeah. for game one. Exactly. Oh, That's yeah. That's like snail coming at you in game two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, and that's the thing, Miles, too, is I, I feel like a lot of people did not even talk about you, Darvish this year and how good his year was. Oh, now, my gosh. Yeah, yeah and, and that's another thing, too, that the, I don't think the Mets ex- – I don't think the Mets um are going to be – I still – okay, for, let me start with this. I think the Mets are going to win the series in three. But I, I do don't too. think the I don't think the Mets are ready for what they're gonna see in, with the starting rotation of the of the Padres because again with with you Darvish with the rest of that rotation uh, uh, I don't think it was talked about enough how great they were in the second half I mean Blake Snell uh, was great uh, obviously Joe Musgrove was good all year Sean Mania so they definitely have those guys in that rotation uh, that you know that are scary so I think that's gonna it's a part that's gonna make you know. Uh, uh, the or that's going to surprise the Mets, and you know it's going to make it three games. But yeah, with the Mets, uh, regardless, I still think that they're one of the World Series favorites right now, just because of the players they got, the type of pitching they have, the bullpen they have. I think they're good enough. They're they're ready enough for October for that. Um, in general, um, I think this series is going to kind of wake them up a little bit and kind of put them into perspective that hey, you're in the postseason now, and these are the type of teams you're going to see. And I think it, it's all going to hinge on uh, what type of series the Padres get out of Soto, um, uh, Machado. Those guys are going to have to carry. Um, and as I mentioned before, Miles Straw, he's one of the uh, – or he's the lowest OPS. Trent Grisham it has the fifth lowest OPS in the majors. So they're going to need a lot more from these guys in their lineup if they're going to want to win the series at all. But like I said, I'm going to go with the Mets just because I like their rotation a lot more. And I like their uh, – the, the guys they got like McNeil um, and Pete Alonzo. So, but this, this one, again, this is probably one of the more marquee matchups uh, when it comes to pitching, when it comes to uh, offensive uh, guys in that lineup. And it's going to be cool to see uh, Max Scherzer go up against Soto in game one. I know they were talking about that today in the press conference. So that'll be cool to see. Um, all right. So that uh, fills that up for the postseason wildcard series. Uh, but before we go, I uh, do want to get your guys' take on the World Series. Who your World Series picks is obviously postseason starts today on Friday. Um, who who are your your guys' World Series picks? And I'll here, real quick, I'll start with mine, and I'll explain mine later. But I'll, I'll start first. Is I think it's going to be the Braves and the Astros again. And Miles, you go. You go next. Ooh, okay. So I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of torn between the Braves and the Dodgers making it to the World Series from the NL standpoint. Uh, for for the American League, I I think I got to go with the Astros. I think I think I do. And <laughs> I know I know that that frustrates some people, but we got to understand the Astros are a very very good ball club mm-hmm. in the regular season and especially in the postseason. I think this is a team that has made their presence known, good good and bad, over the past three, four years. Um, I got the Astros. That's that's just a very very uh a very experienced team. Well managed. Dusty Baker has been managing for as long as I've been alive. I think a little bit longer. Um he knows how to manage, he knows how to manage in the World Series. He knows how to manage in the postseason. Uh I think Alex Bragman is, is gonna continue to play well in the postseason. I think he's gonna make his mark and I think this may be one of his best postseasons ever. I think he has a lot to prove. 
he had a bad start to his season and finished incredible this year. So I'm going to say Astros versus Dodgers or Braves. I had the pleasure of watching Houston when they came into the uh, town in August against the Sox, and they put up 21 runs on the Sox. <laughs> and Bregman had a, a, a six-plus RBI game, and I think he – if he he had he had to hit like at least I know he had a home run. He might have had a multi home run game that day, and that that game alone let me know that you know it, it's levels when it comes to competing in, in Houston. When they when they when their offense is clicking, um, it gets scary. And I might have a possibility of going down there for the ALDS because my mom is actually gonna be in Houston next week. I'm considering getting a flight out there just to see a couple of <laughs> might games. as well. You, you might know, as well yeah, do it. Send see, us a I, video. I, 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 I'm thinking yeah. about it, but. I got to go with the Astros to represent the American League, yep. man. Um, that that team is just too potent. You know, you pick your poison. Jordan, Bregman, you know, Jeremy Payne has come on over there as of late. You, you, you know, even without Michael Brantley, you know, Kyle Tucker. You know, I still have nightmares about him, you know, crushing the Sox in the LDS. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going with them in the American League. And in the National League, man, I – I, 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 I'm with you, Saul. I, I do think we're going to get that rematch. I, I really do. As much as I want to say the Dodgers, I, I, the Braves, they, I, I like Atlanta too. I, I think we're going to get that rematch. I think it's going to be a Houston and Atlanta World Series again. And um, it's going to be interesting. I'm torn, man. I'm torn between the Dodgers <laughs> and Braves. I really no, am. It, it, it's hard. Those are two amazing <laughs> teams. Yeah. yeah. I can't choose. I can't choose between either one. <laughs> that National League playoff series, all uh, the, from the DS to the LCS, yeah. it's going to be interesting. You talking like three teams won 100 games or more. I, I, I can't recall the last time I've ever seen something like that. And going into the season, I was interested to see what the National League looked like, mm-hmm. you know, with the playoff series. But after seeing the, how the way the, the, the regular season played out, man. Even the Mets might have something to say. You, you, we don't know. Yeah, no, it's, and that's what I was thinking too. Is the fact that I, the reason I, and I, I don't, I didn't even pick. Um, you know, I did my whole the, the bracket because MLB, you know, lets you do that bracket. Uh, and I did that. I filled it out, and I didn't even have the Dodgers going past the LDS. And I, that, that's, I know it sounds crazy up top, you know, for a team that won 110 games. But when you look at the, when you look at or 111 actually, when you look at the the NL and you break it down it really shouldn't be a surprise with how stacked the NL is and, and the Mets, the Mets, it's just because, because I think that they, the Dodgers have been in in cruise control all season. Right. So I think, I think going into the postseason, not saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just get, get hit like by, by a train with that, the Mets rotation uh, with their grittiness and uh, are able to take that series because I just think that the way the Dodgers have been playing so laid back and, and it, the Dodgers is one of those teams that I just watch a lot because they're always on at like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So it's like, you get to watch those games after, you know, the Cubs or the Sox games. So it, it's one of those teams that, you know, it, they're, they are good and they have so much depth, but it's how you handle, you know, being that 110, you know, win team, especially with a lot of young guys on there still, um, despite, you know, having one in 2020, it's a whole different ball game now. So um, I think definitely it's going to be the Braves and the Astros. And uh, I just think the, the Braves top to bottom, I just think that, you know, they have guys that have done it before, but also just so stacked, man. You know, Michael Harris, they have like, they have two rookie of the year candidates, right? Yeah. And Strider and Harris, it, it's just, it's nasty. And they deservedly so won that East. They're just a better team than the Mets right now. And I do have the Braves and the, and the Mets 
playing in the NLCS, and I'm just like hoping that happens so so bad because that series will be so juicy. Um, and again, on the other side, I really hope it's the Yankees and Astros playing for the ALCS. Um, so it'll it'll be you know I mean this time of year is it's the best time of year, and I think that uh, for sure we're gonna get. Um, a great postseason with all these teams and, and the wild card is just going to set it up, you know, cause it's, it's, it's as wild as, 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 as I think it's ever been with those matchups. So uh, like definitely format as well. I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, don't like, I, I think... didn't like the one and done. Mm-hmm. Let's play three. Who's going to be the best out of these three games. I'm for yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to be a flip of the coin regardless. It's going to be awesome. So uh, definitely uh, hopefully uh, it, it lives up to expectations. Well, Gabe and miles all the time we have for today. Uh, had a great time talking with you guys. Gabe, of course, uh, hope to have you on for a different, hey, or maybe all the all the episodes this this uh, this October because we got plenty to break down in all the series. It's gonna it's gonna be awesome. And uh, again, have, great for having you on. And uh, for sure, I uh, hope you come on again either next week or just all October, man. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. And anytime, you know, to be talking baseball, uh, you know, it's funny you brought up the, the new wild card format and mm-hmm. just looking at the new format of this season and future seasons ahead. I haven't been excited to see playoff baseball like this in a long time. Mm-hmm. And that wild card round with a best of three format, um, man, it makes things a hell of a lot interesting, more interesting than even a one game. As much as I love game 163s, yeah. you're going to see a lot of chess matches in these wild card rounds that's going to determine the fate of a lot of these teams, whether or not they live to see to play another day or whether they got to go home and, you know, lament on um, Summer Soros. Yeah, and I think that that the wild card era of the one single game wild card era, I think it's going to be remembered, like, very nicely. I think it's going to be, you know, as crazy as it was and intense as it was, there's a lot of special moments, especially with the Cubs, you know, obviously having one in, you know, uh, one, one in, in 2015. So mm-hmm. they, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be remembered as, as uh, something different, you know, and, and uh, you never know, maybe, maybe it'll come back one day with depending on how many teams are playing. Uh, but anyways, and a quick shout out too. we can't forget this too. I will, will say is uh congratulations to Aaron judge for hitting uh, uh, 62 um, mm-hmm. because that, that was awesome to see. And, uh, and of course, pools, we said that in the last episode, but just cool records all around this year and, and definitely hope to see uh, more history being made in October by these guys. So, um, all right. So for Saul Rodriguez, Gabe Wilkins, Miles Porter, hope you guys enjoy uh, day one of the MLB postseason and the rest of October as well. And we'll see you guys next week.